Well, the first thing I think he would do would be to stand up and tell the truth. I mean, he had a great expression that was uh, just tell the truth and watch them scatter. So the further away the problem is, uh, the easier it is to postpone action on it. And that's essentially what we're doing. Be real. Because people in New Hampshire are really cool. I'd say get in the game. This is a problem facing your generation. You have to have a voice in the decision. Welcome to Facing the Future, brought to you by the Concord Coalition on WKXL, New Hampshire's talk radio station. I'm your host, Bob Bixby. Each week, we take a nonpartisan dive into topics related to the federal budget, the economy, and how they affect our nation's future. This week, we'll talk with Richard Jackson, president of the Global Aging Institute, about his new paper called The Vital Role of Immigration in an Aging America. The paper explains that even as immigration to the United States has been declining, its importance to the nation's demographic and economic growth has been increasing. Concord Coalition Chief Economist Steve Robinson will join the conversation. And then we'll have a follow-up conversation on immigration with two activists in in this area who come at it from slightly different perspectives. Concord Coalition Communications Director Av Harris will join that conversation. So let's begin our immigration discussion today with Richard Jackson and his new issue brief. Richard and Steve, welcome back to Facing the Future. Hey, Bob. It's great to be here. Well, this is, uh, this is the latest in our series uh, on the shape of things to come. And the, uh, the title of the paper, Richard, is The Vital Role of Immigration in an Aging America. Uh, why is it vital? Well, it's pretty simple, Bob. Um, immigration is becoming increasingly important to economic growth as uh, the population uh, of America ages. Um, as the smaller cohorts born since the end of the post-war baby boom have climbed the age ladder, the growth rate in employment um, has slowed dramatically from 1.7% per year in the 1970s to 0.7% per year since 2000. Um, and the latest CBO uh, long-term projections um, have it growing by the uh, 2030s and 2040s at just 0.2%. Year. All of that future projected growth, moreover, is due to the assumption that we will have substantial ongoing net immigration. Without immigration, the working age population would already be shrinking today. Um, there are two components to GDP growth one is employment growth. Faster growth in the working age population, all other things being equal, translates into faster employment growth. Immigrants boost employment growth, not just because they add to the population, um, but because they're more likely to be of working age uh, than native-born uh, uh, native born people are. Um, so immigration boosts employment growth. Many economists believe that it also boosts productivity growth. Um, with employment growth growing faster, Um, There is more need for capital broadening investment. There's a quicker turnover in the capital stock, um, and that can spur productivity and technological progress by creating opportunities for learning by doing. Um, Immigrants also bring a greater diversity of skills and entrepreneurial initiative to the economy, 
Um, and, and this can boost productivity growth as well. So immigration um, is the key, uh, or certainly a very important key to maintaining economic and living standard growth in aging America. This is one problem. <laughs> the problem is that immigration uh, has been declining uh, even as it's been growing in economic importance. Um, from the early 1990s through the Great Recession, an average net immigration 1.3 million per year. Since then, um, it's averaged uh, under a million. Um, so we need to ensure as we come out of the pandemic uh, that we boost it uh, something back to something closer to what's already assumed uh, in the CBO projections. And I think just uh, before uh, bringing Steve into the conversation, there's really a number of uh, almost staggering uh, statistics that, that you just went through. But I, I mean, the, the, the CBO is projecting much lower economic growth than we've had in the past. Uh, and most of that decline, as I understand it, is due to just a very uh, marked slowdown in the rate of workforce Workforce growth. That's correct. And that's yeah. and, and and that's the decline that's, in employment is the biggest component of the projected decline in GDP growth. By the time we get out to the 2030s and 2040s, the CBO is projecting that real GDP will only be growing by 1.5 percent per year, which is just half of its average over the entire post-war period, um, and that's with substantial immigration. If immigration doesn't rise to that, the outlook is worse. If we can somehow, if we could boost it above what the CBO is assuming, the outlook could be considerably better. And that's, um, and uh, th that, that's the other key point here is that immigration, we're going to be counting more on immigration, even though immigration is currently declining. The assumptions are and the policy need is to increase uh, immigration because otherwise the population itself would shrink. Uh, well, the working age population would already yeah. be shrinking. Yeah. Um, and without any net immigration, uh, the total population of the United States would begin to decline by sometime in the earlier 2040s. And the... Um, I mean, the salience of all this, uh, not just for the economy, but the uh, for the federal budget, is that this is the economy that's going to have to support rising projected costs for programs like Medicare and Social Security and all sorts of other things that are going to be growing uh, with a with an aging population. So we've got growing burdens and a shrinking economy to support those burdens. Right. Exactly. Faster growth makes everything more affordable including paying for the costs of our aging society. <laughs> Which is something that you and I are really beginning to worry about. <laughs> well, it, yes, as we sometimes said, Bob, we've worked at the, on these issues long enough that we've now become part of the problem. Okay. All right, Steve, let me bring you into the conversation here. So, Richard, you've uh, sort of talked about the, the benefits of immigration and how um, adding immigrants to the labor force will increase economic growth, and economic growth, of course, will you know, improve our ability to support a, an, an aging society. Um, 
But, you know, is immigration a panacea? I mean, can it solve all of our problems? What What's sort of the limits of of, of immigration's ability to, to, to right. address the, the need here? Well, it's important to make, to make yes, it, it's, it's important to be clear about what immigration can do and what it can't do. What it can't do is reverse the aging of the population. Um, the problem is that immigrants, in, in, unless you kick them out, have the unfortunate habit of growing old in their turn. So a higher rate of immigration, unless it's very high um, and rising over time, does not dramatically alter the long-term age structure of the population. Um, what it does do, however, is dramatically, it can dramatically alter the growth rate uh, in the working age population and in employment um, and, and hence in GDP. Uh, the, the UN um, um, has an interesting set of projections. They have their standard uh, scenario called the medium variant. They also have a scenario called the zero migration variant. Um, and if you compare these two scenarios, uh, you can get a sense of the impact uh, of immigration um, um, on, on the growth rate in employment and growth rate in GDP. Uh, in, in, in the medium variant, by 2075, um, so the median variant builds in an assumption of continued net immigration at about the same level the CBO is projecting. In the medium variant, the, the size of the workforce would be fully one-third larger by 2075 than it would be if we had no net immigration at all. And again, all other things being equal, that would translate um, into a GDP that's one third larger. Um, and a larger GDP, uh, as I indicated before, makes all things more affordable, including paying for the cost uh, of, 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 of rising uh, uh, senior benefits, Social Security, Medi Medicare, um, and, and making the fiscal burden um, easier to bear in the future. You know, there. Um, whenever you bring up immigration, and it seems to me that the um, the political climate has uh, has changed considerably on this. Um, could you go through as the paper goes through why some of those issues that are continually raised aren't as problematic as they seem? Right. Well, I mean, one frequently heard concern uh, is that immigrants take jobs from native-born workers. Um, it, and, and another is that they are free riders on the social safety net. They collect more in benefits than they pay in taxes. Uh, yet, yet another is that um, recent uh, uh, immigrants are failing to assimilate as, as readily as past generations of, of, of immigrants did. And let, let, me, let me take each of these in, in, in turn. There, there may be some small kernel of truth in each of these, but they're fundamentally misleading. Um, immigrants may take, to the extent they have similar skill sets to native-born workers, they may take a job from a native-born worker at the firm level or even the industry level. Um, but at the economy-wide economy level, 
uh, this concern is, is groundless. Um, the notion that there is a competition between different groups for a limited number of jobs in the economy is, is a fallacy. Economists call this the lump of labor fallacy. At an economy-wide level, immigrants don't take jobs from native-born workers any more than women entering the labor force took jobs from men or old people uh, staying in the labor force takes jobs from, 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 from young people. Uh, the jobs that immigrants take generate income from immigrants. Immigrants purchase goods, purchase services with that income that creates uh, uh, additional demand, which creates more jobs. Um, so it, it, at the economy-wide level, uh, in, immigration is a positive sum um, proposition. The whole notion of, of competition also ignores the fact um, that often Im immigrants have complementary uh, uh, skill sets. Um, while, uh, uh, while a large number of immigrants are low-skilled and may compete with low-skilled workers, uh, many immigrants are also highly skilled. Um, and the, the, uh, 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 the jobs they take as nurses or, or as doctors, as, 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 as IT professionals or what have you, um, increase the social and economic welfare of all Americans and especially of Americans who are, who are, lower, who are lower skilled. Uh, on, on the fiscal question, um, there's some evidence that the state and local level immigrants may be uh, may often be a burden uh, on the budget. Why? Um, because they tend to have larger families than native-born adults, so they consume more in in educational ser services. Meanwhile, state and local governments uh, collect less in taxes from them. But most studies show that at the federal level, the balance tips the other way because immigrants are less likely to qualify for federal benefit programs than uh, native-born uh, adults are. And also because the greater progressivity of the federal tax system um, raises more revenue from those immigrants who are, who are higher, more skilled and, and, and higher earning. And on the question of assimilation, frankly, um, I, 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 I think, you're hard pressed to find hard evidence that current generation, that, that recent immigrants are assimilating less well than, than earlier generations of immigrants. They have a, a higher labor force participation rate than native born adults do. Uh, a majority speak English proficiently. Um, um, all of their children speak English proficiently uh, or virtually all. And when you get to their grandchildren, virtually none speak the language of their grandparents at all. Um, I think all of the, the all, on almost every important indicator, uh, uh, the direction um, of assimilation and integration is in a positive direction. Part of the pushback against immigration has to do with this misperception that most of it is illegal. That that simply isn't isn't the case. Um, and, and as I you know was went out of my way to acknowledge earlier, when um, the skill sets of immigrants match uh, closely the skill sets of native-born workers. Um, there can be competition for jobs. There can be uh, a wage competition. Um, and, and often it's you know, low-skilled uh, uh, native-born workers who are uh, the most effective. Um, that is 
that is a, a, a concern. Um, but I think it's not an argument against immigration. Perhaps it's an argument for uh, more robust adjustment and retraining policies of one kind or another. You, you write in the paper, and we're going to have to wrap up with this, but uh, you write about sort of a, a, an opinion paradox of, of uh, immigration that it... Um, well, you go into that. I mean, because you cite some research that uh, immigration is actually a, a, a pretty well supported by the public. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, which is surprising given the fact that um, Americans disagree sometimes vehemently uh, about what the best solutions are to all the problems that plague our, 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 our immigration system. People disagree about how best or even whether to secure the southern border. People disagree about how we should handle, you know, that that 10 or 11 million uh, uh, unauthorized immigrants who live here already, and especially the dreamers, uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, unauthorized immigrants who were brought here by their parents as, as children. People disagree about the solutions to that. But at a more fundamental level, um, support for immigration is rising. Um, let me just look at uh, uh, some, some, some data I have here quickly. Uh, yeah, according to a recent um, Pew Center, uh, Research Center survey, uh, the sh actually it's a survey that they've given every year for a number of years, the share of, the share, share of Americans who say that immigrants strengthen the economy as opposed to burdening it has risen from about 30% uh, in the early 1990s to fully 66%, that is two thirds today. Meanwhile, the share saying that legal, legal immigration should be reduced uh, has declined from about two thirds to one third. So you have this, this, this growing recognition um, that immigration is important to America, that it brings substantial benefits. That may be surprising given how much we disagree about how to solve these pressing problems, the crisis at the southern border, the backlog of refugee applications that's left uh, former Afghan allies stranded in various places all over, all over the world. But I, I think it shouldn't be surprising because America has always been a country of immigrants um, and, and people, at uh, least unconsciously uh, uh, or instinctively, uh, would maybe be the better word, realize that it still has a vital role uh, to play in our nation's aging future. Well, it sounds like we're going to have to leave it there, but it sounds like a, a vital economic role and a, a kind of a, a thorny, a tricky presentation question, a communications question, just how it's presented to the public. Yeah. We see a lot of support for immigration as a uh, as an, an aid to the economy. And um, and then we have if it's presented only as a question of border security and an illegal immigration. Well, obviously, immigration is thought of as not a good thing. So it really is a matter for policymakers, I think, to make the case for legal immigration and uh, and why it's important. And I, I think the public would still be perceptive to that. Whether the political environment has been so damaged, uh, who knows? Um, 
but I'm really uh, happy that you wrote this paper. Uh, raises lots of really good uh, issues with uh, supported by facts, and it lets us know why this has been and will continue to be a, a nation of immigrants. Richard, thank you for joining, and uh, you're, thank you're you. You're welcome, Bob. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Steve, as well. This is uh, Bob Bixby. Uh, I'll be back uh, with a, uh, an, a, the next section of uh, Facing the Future. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby. And in this segment, Concord Coalition Communications Director of Harris and I will discuss immigration and its importance to workforce growth with Jose Lulas and uh, Pankaj Prakash. Now, if anybody has a problem with the pronunciation, please correct me. Well, Jose Lalouche is a, a longtime organized labor uh, uh, organizer and activist. He does a lot of work both uh, on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, going all the way back to the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, in the early 1990s. And more recently, he was an advisor and national surrogate for the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign in 1920, uh, 2020, uh, as well as an operative for the 2012 Obama-Biden campaign, uh, organizing the Hispanic community in Florida. Jose grew up in Puerto Rico and now resides in Manhattan. Prakash uh, is an immigrant uh, originally from Bhopal, India, uh, he arrived in the United States as a graduate student at the University of Connecticut in 2001. He's a mechanical engineer and works as a, a data scientist in the um, field of aerospace, anal of, excuse me, workforce analytics in the aerospace and defense industry. And he became a U.S. Uh, citizen a few years ago, was elected to, as a Republican to the town council of Rocky Hill, Connecticut, and serves as a member of the Connecticut Republican State uh, Central Committee. So, Jose, Ankash, Av, welcome to Facing the Future. Happy Thank you very much, Bob. Good to be here. Uh, first thing I, I, I have to interject is a personal note that I will be spending three evenings uh, around Christmas in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. So I hope the, <laughs> hope the town is, is ready. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it's good to have you both uh, here as we do a, a little bit deeper dive into the immigration issues facing the United States and uh, really how we can reform the system to, to grow immigration significantly over the next 30 or 50 years or so, so we can help stabilize and expand the working age population in the United States. And and I should just point out, people say, well, what does the Concord Coalition care about that? Uh, uh, aren't you a budget group? Yes, we are. But what we care about really is the long-term growth of the U.S. economy. And a crucial part of that is workforce growth. And, you know, we, we have a problem uh, with that. If you look at any of the projections, uh, workforce growth is slowing dramatically as the population ages. So, Immigration, as, is, as we discussed with Richard Jackson in our last segment, is going to become an increasingly important part of workforce growth. And uh, so we wanted to have a couple of people on, uh, maybe that come from slightly different perspectives, but to talk about how we might, uh, how we might improve the immigration system to 
achieve that uh, that goal of growing the the workforce. So Jose, maybe uh, I'd, I'd begin with you. Um, you work with organized labor, which uh, has taken a pro-immigration stance. How important do you see immigration to the growth of the labor force? It's of critical importance, uh, Bob. Uh, as, as you may know, historically, uh, the uh, position of the organized labor movement uh, has uh, shifted uh, back in the... Uh, uh, early days of the previous uh, century, you know, uh, there was uh, a sort of a restrictionist uh, approach, uh, shall we say, uh, to the question of uh, migration and uh, uh, the uh, incoming uh, waves of uh, immigrants. But uh, nowadays, uh, the organized labor movement uh, is, uh, has become an ardent uh, and fierce advocate of uh, immigration. Uh, and, uh, you know, we see it as a, a critical uh, dimension in terms of our, our growth. Uh, the growth of the labor market uh, uh, offers, uh, affords opportunities to the various uh, organizations that are part of the organized labor movement to grow. Uh, and so from our perspective, uh, uh, what we uh, advocate for is uh, uh, increased rights, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, protections and uh, standards uh, that will lead to increased earnings by uh, many of these uh, immigrant uh, communities that uh, continue to uh, uh, migrate uh, to this country. And the benefits to the workforce and to the economy are uh, fundamental, are uh, palpable, are uh, uh, compelling, shall we say. Uh, yet, you know, this uh, has become complicated by uh, the choices uh, made by certain uh, uh, political uh, forces uh, that uh, essentially have uh, decided to weaponize, you know, the whole question of uh, migration and immigrants to this country when the whole history of the country is in fact the history of immigrants. You know, going back to the very first, you know, colonial settlers that were uh, seeking freedom uh, from uh, escaping from religious and political persecution uh, in Europe. Uh, so uh, I think that, uh, you know, the uh, uh, political use uh, of this whole question of uh, immigrants and immigrations uh, uh, has harm. You know, what uh, needs to be a very transparent uh, and open conversation about uh, the, the many benefits uh, to the nation's uh, society and economy. And so we in organized labor favor very much the growth of the workforce uh, with uh, more immigrants. I think that's a, a really interesting point because, you know, as one who grew up in a different era, I, I tended to think of organized labor as being skeptical of immigration. And uh, I didn't know whether I was um, getting that wrong in, in, in terms of a, a kind of a shift. And I'm, I'm uh, happy to get, get your explanation on that. Is, is, has anything, I mean, is that broadly shared among organized labor or is it in, in certain uh, communities? It's, it's uh, broadly shared 
particularly among the largest you know, organizations in the organized labor movement, the only federation that we have in this country, uh, Bob, as you probably know, the uh, AFL-CIO, uh, you know, has uh, taken a very, very strong stand, setting up, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, mechanisms internally to provide uh, assistance to uh, immigrants and their families uh, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, fight for legislation to normalize, you know, their status in this country. Uh, we have come out strongly for comprehensive uh, uh, immigration that uh, is, uh, that leads to uh, citizenship uh, and uh, the normalization of the uh, status of the 11 uh, million immigrants that uh, have been uh, living in the country for years and years and years uh, because uh, you know this will benefit uh, uh, themselves, their families and uh, the economy and uh, the workforce uh, growth and development. So uh, perhaps in certain sectors uh, among the building trades, uh, Bob, you know, there's uh, some uh, resistance. Uh, change is always uh, slow, as you know, uh, and it comes from the bottom up uh, as, uh, you know, many more immigrant families continue to uh, contribute, you know, to the uh, country's uh, economic growth uh, you know, people begin to see the uh, benefits, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's very clear that that is the majority position without question of the organized labor movement, Bob. Thank you. Uh, let me turn to uh, Pankaj. Uh, uh, you and your whole family are, are immigrants. Uh, so you've lived the experience of coming from a culture and society on the other side of the world, very different from the United States. And uh, you're now a part of a growing trend in, in uh, your part of Connecticut as tens of thousands of families from India have immigrated over the past couple of decades. So um, tell us a, a, about how you chose that path. Um, do you apply your, uh, you know, how do you apply your experience when you're, how do you apply your experience, um, you know, when you, when you do labor force analytics uh, in the defense industry and, where can you attract your your talent pool for the next decade? Yeah, so uh, all those are great questions, Bob. And um, thank you for having me again. Uh, I wanted to say that uh, this is a very important topic. Uh, obviously, as you said, like close to my heart, uh, I've lived this experience uh, over the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, I came here as a student, as you mentioned on the top of the program. Um, went through the, the graduate student route, uh, went through the grind, uh, joined the workforce after I graduated, going through the entire uh, life cycle of an immigrant, if you will. So uh, like, again, this is very close to my heart. One thing I would say, going back to the economic benefits uh, and you know what it does for us as a country, there is no doubt in my mind that uh, it's a force multiplier. It's a net positive uh, in every which way you cut it from an economic standpoint, right? And um, I actually read your paper, which you published like earlier in the month, uh, the Concord Coalition did, right? And uh, it, some of the numbers there um, 
were, uh, you know, stunning to me. It was a great white paper to read. I think you call it the, the city's called Shape of the Things to Come, right? And there are like some very interesting things in there. Uh, but this latest paper, as I was going through it, some things like really stood out, right? Uh, if we don't have net immigration, uh, according to the white paper, uh, then we won't uh, have positive growth in our working age population, actually. So net immigration is critical uh, to actually having a positive, net positive growth in the working age population, which translates into GDP growth, essentially, uh, which is already pretty anemic as projected by the CBO, I think, as you quote the numbers there. So I think overall, what is indisputable here uh, from the numbers standpoint is that we do need immigration. We need net immigration. Now, where it gets tricky, uh, in my view, and I think Jose mentioned this uh, or alluded to it a little bit, is uh, you know, how do we do it? How do we have an immigration system that works for everyone, right? And every country, to a certain extent or the other, regulates immigration, right? Uh, and I should say in, in an impact, imperfect way. I'm sure if you went to those countries and talked to people, there will always be people who would not like what the immigration system brings, right, to their country. And I, I can say that even for India, like India has some immigration, net immigration from countries like Bangladesh, right? And it's it doesn't, uh, there are some people who, who will tell you uh, that they have uh, concerns about that or reservations about that. So in any system around the world, you will find uh, some concerns or the other, right? So the question is in an imperfect system, how do we make it, um, how do we make it more just and, you know, uh, and a system which serves uh, us as a country as well, uh, you know, in terms of the economic um benefits of that system, right? So just a couple of things I wanted to say, like, you know, there have been a lot of conversation about uh, immigration from the southern border. What I would like to focus on, though, uh, as, uh, you know, personally speaking, uh, as, as, and also as, as somebody who has interest uh, in, in matters of immigration and workforce, is that we, uh, as a country, we need to focus more on uh, the conversation about family-based immigration versus, uh, you know, uh, skills-based immigration. I think that paradigm can solve for a lot of things uh, and not exclusive of each other, but can be inclusive of the two, right? So if we can build out a system where we have a healthy level of family-based immigration, by the way, which is at about like 45% today in the United States, right? Um, and the uh, 40 to 45% when you look at the numbers in the last decade and the, the, the skills-based immigration um, is about 10%. Those numbers are pretty much flipped um, uh, or are much lower, I should say, for family-based in countries like Canada and Australia, which has been a model for a lot of, uh, you know, policy uh, you know, groups like yours, Bob, to, to propose that we should be looking at those countries uh, for guidance to uh, incorporate those ideas in our system, right? So uh, as I think of this, uh, you know, conversation, I think of it as uh, how do we build a better system which we, where we can incorporate both aspects of our immigration system, which I think most people will agree that needs an overhaul. 
Uh, it, it's, it was built in 1965, this current system, and it had, you know, considered, um, you know, uh, aspects of American life as they, as they were in 1965. Uh, we are in 2020. Yeah, well, I, 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 a, lot of have, a lot of things have changed since 1965, including me. We're going to have to take a break. We're, we're, we're kind of rushing through our, our time here. So uh, hold that thought. And then when we come back, uh, Av will uh, pick up the questioning here. Uh, you're listening to Facing the Future. We're having a really interesting uh, discussion on immigration policy in the United States. We'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, Concord Coalition Communications Director. Av Harris and I are having an interesting discussion about immigration in the United States with two gentlemen who know a lot about that. That would be Jose Lulash and Pankaj Prakash. And if I didn't pronounce those names correctly, once again, I apologize. Um, I've, uh, we haven't uh, been able to bring you into the conversation yet, so uh, jump in. Thanks a lot, Bob. And so I have a question for Jose Laluz. Um, so what, what Pankaj was saying about a, skilled, a skills-based immigration system versus uh, you know, one that looks at families and, and family reunification, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, 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 and where's organized labor on that? Because I think for one thing, if you want to look at growing immigration to meet the needs of the economy, skills definitely have relevance. But um, there's also, uh, you know, a strong argument to be made that uh, unskilled immigrants also then later gain skills and their children who grow up and go to school here also gain skills. So where should we be thinking about that? Well, uh, most of the uh, people that I associate with uh, 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 come down very strongly in favor of uh, family unification precisely because of what uh, uh, you articulated, uh, uh, you know, it's been shown, it, it's been demonstrated that uh, many of the uh, unskilled, uh, so-called unskilled uh, immigrants, uh, once uh, they begin to be perform, you know, different jobs uh, in different uh, sectors uh, of industry in the uh, a broader economy, uh, they begin to develop uh, a sets of uh, skills uh, and knowledge uh, that becomes uh, critical in terms of uh, some mobility, you know, across the uh, labor market. I mean, the evidence is uh, compelling in terms of that, uh, but uh, there might be a need for uh, a multifaceted uh, strategy because there are certain sectors a high tech that require, you know, a certain set of uh, skills. So it's uh, perhaps a hybrid, uh, if you will. Uh, we in organized labor, of course, uh, uh, favor strongly, you know, family reunification. I did a lot of work with Congressman uh, Luis Gutierrez uh, from Illinois, who was a strong advocate of uh, immigration, uh, immigrant rights, uh, and did a tour around the country, uh, different cities and communities, and saw firsthand uh, precisely what you were describing uh, uh, in terms of immigrants that came uh, to uh, perform a certain work in agriculture and then moved 
uh, to other you know industries and their skill sets uh, you know were upgraded and were able to perform you know other uh, other jobs uh, with higher earnings and so that's our perspective uh, but uh, we do not uh, you know discard the need for uh, you know tar- targeted uh, skills uh, uh, driven migration for certain sectors of the economy so whenever somebody hears about the immigration issue i guess politically immediately people's minds go to the undocumented immigration and uh, and and the need to secure the southern border and that among you know certain uh, political factions that's what the number one priority is if you look at the numbers um, only about 23% of immigrants that come into the United States through, you know, over the, over the course of a year are doing so in an undocumented uh, way. The vast majority, 77%, come through a regulated process. So, Pankaj, I guess I wanted to ask you, and, and, and then maybe a, 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 after your take on this, um, uh, Jose would love to get your take as well. I mean, what, what should we do about the undocumented population? They're here. They're clearly contributing to the economy. I think... You could you could see that the pandemic has shown how critical uh, the jobs that the undocumented hold are to the functioning of the rest of the economy, especially when you think about supply chain. So, what do you think some practical solutions uh, to this challenge are? Yeah, so that's a great question, Avin. Like, I like to make like a couple of points, and uh, which uh, which essentially uh, will kind of also address the idea of the undocumented here, right? And as you mentioned, like those are like really small numbers, like when you look at the whole pie, right? That's about like 20, 23%, like you mentioned, right? So that's like the, one quarter of the population. What gets lost in this debate, I would like to mention though, is that a lot of uh, people who are, who you can call temporary uh, residents or temporary immigrants who are on work visas, uh, which I was one of, uh, you know, many years ago, uh, I would say a lot of those people are in this system where they stay as temporary for decades now at this point. So I know people personally uh, who have been waiting for their green cards for like 15 years. Uh, And that's not, um, you know, something like a one person or two person anecdotal. Uh, you would find many people, uh, if you look at the data, uh, who have been here more than a decade still waiting for their green cards. So that conversation um, gets eclipsed by the conversation, which is mostly in the mainstream media, is about the uh, undocumented, right? And um, I think even like on a general, as a general matter, uh, the conversation about legal immigration, the legal immigration system as it exists today, right? gets eclipsed with the conversation of illegal immigration, right? So we are, I think, in my view, we are not paying enough attention to our legal system and the reforms it requires right now because we are busy talking about an aspect of immigration uh, which is very high profile and uh, makes... uh, makes a lot of people, uh, you know, pay attention to the issue, but in a, in a very narrow way. So I think what I would like to see is more attention on the legal system as it exists today and reforming that system 
Uh, and just, just going back for a minute to what Jose was saying uh, before, uh, I don't think we will end up with a system or we should end up with a system in the US, which is a completely merit-based system, uh, like a Canada or Australian system. I think where we should land is a hybrid of what exists today and where we want to take our economy in the 21st century. So what that means is, uh, you know, we, we might end up at a place uh, where uh, you could envision a merit-based system that incorporates um, all, the, all the good or all the good characteristics of our current system, but actually makes the system better by incorporating some of the ideas with countries like Australia and Canada are, are using as well to move the system in the, to the 21st century. Well, thank you, gentlemen, both. This has been a really interesting discussion. I want to have you both back on uh, later as we uh, look at this issue again. Uh, thank you for joining me. That's all the time we have for this week. I want to thank our guests. And uh, this is Bob Bixby, your host. I'll be back with another edition of Facing the Future next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>